But when I think of the types of people that this gospel applies to, it is exceedingly wide. Doesn't matter what your culture is. Doesn't matter where you were born in the world. Doesn't matter what was your past creed. This gospel can be applied to you in real terms. I can minister it to the 80-year-old in a hospital deathbed scene. I can tell the dying soul who's lived all his lives rejecting the gospel, there's still mercy for you. I can preach it as I do on Wednesday mornings to the boys and girls, and I can tell them that the Lord Jesus invites them in all their relative innocency, in all their narrow, limited views of life, the Lord Jesus will receive you. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and today we're going to our Three Dimensions of the Love of God. This is part two of the message from the book of Ephesians. It is a book that tells us to delight ourselves in the riches of Christ. That is a theme that you will see recurring over and over, the riches of Christ. Many are stumbling over the riches of this world. Many are seeking to attain the short-term, and the failing wealth of this earth. But the Christian is rejoicing in the eternal riches, the things that we will never lose, the things that are sure and certain for all eternity. And today we're going to look at the three dimensions of the love of God, so wide, so high, so deep. And we rejoice that you can enter into it today. We have a hymn who worship the king, and some stories on the message of the gospel. One of them is fundamentally settled. The gospel is to build on a rock. The, the Lord Jesus likened it to a wise man building his house on a rock versus the one who built his house on sand. And so I invite you, stay tuned for the program today. Now we're turning to the hymn, O Worship the King.
And that's the work of the Spirit. That is the ministry of the Spirit to your heart. That's the operation of the Spirit through faith, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. And it has to happen. I remember a man in my church over 30 years ago. I was a very, very young preacher then, and I was preaching in this community building. And as I preached the Word, there was this man who heard the, the call of the gospel. But he gave his testimony. And he said, as I sat under the preaching, I saw Christ on the cross. I saw my Redeemer. He didn't see the preacher. He didn't just hear words. In that gospel meeting, God gave to him a living reality of the Lord Jesus himself. And in times of gospel awakening and revival blessing in the church, that has been the multiplied experience of souls. They have been led to experience and behold the dying, the bleeding, the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus. And it became reality, not just some mere religious protocol. He was the living Lord Jesus right before their eyes of faith. Is that what you mean when you call yourself a believer? Is that what you've known when you say, I have by faith beheld the Son of God dying for me? That's what Paul's praying for here. That's what every soul needs, that they might be rooted and strengthened in this way of faith. Now, that brings me to the equation of this love. He says here that verse 18 may be able to comprehend, and the whole idea of comprehending here, it means that you lay hold of something. It becomes a reality. And then he goes on to speak that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. There's one thing I like about this, and it gives me a nice clear outline. We can take these things step by step to comprehend. Many think of it to be the gospel is imaginative, pie in the sky. It's a nice, wonderful theory, but they don't really lay hold in reality. Well, Paul speaks here of the breadth of the gospel, the breadth of God's love in His Son, the Lord Jesus. I'm glad today that the gospel is not a narrow thing. It's wide. It's exceedingly wide. There are those who try to narrow the gospel, who try to limit it, to try to bring it down so that it only applies to a few. But when I think of the types of people that this gospel applies to, it is exceedingly wide. doesn't matter what your culture is. Doesn't matter where you were born in the world. Doesn't matter what was your past creed. This gospel can be applied to you in real terms. I can minister it to the 80-year-old in a hospital deathbed scene. I can tell the dying soul who's lived all his lives rejecting the gospel, there's still mercy for you. 
I can preach it as I do on Wednesday mornings to the boys and girls, and I can tell them that the Lord Jesus invites them in all their relative innocency, in all their narrow, limited views of life, the Lord Jesus will receive you. And then as we apply some theology to the matter, we can say that this gospel is wide enough that all of God's elect, whom he ever ordained to eternal life, for whom Christ died, all will be included, none left out. And that's no small number. We're told that there will be the multitudes. There will be in heaven an an innumerable company, and they will be gathered in on that eternal day, and they will be saved. So the gospel's wide. We're, we're, We're to look to the breadth of it and to comprehend the exceeding breadth of the gospel. Then we come to the length of the gospel, and surely that would speak to us of its duration. How long has this gospel been around? How long has it been in the world? Well, as Mr. Spurgeon said, if an angel was to come and look into the matter of, for how long has God loved sinners, they would start at the cross. They would start at Calvary. And they would look at the cross, and they would say, Is this where God began? And they would say, No, his name is Jesus. And he was given that name at his birth. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from the world. And when Philip preached to the Ethiopian from Isaiah 53, he preached unto him Jesus. So Isaiah understood the love of God to sinners. And it didn't start there. It goes back right to Adam. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden with his wife Eve, God had a plan of salvation. So it was already there. So we have to go back to creation and pre-creation, and we have to go into the eternal counsels of God in glory who planned the cross and who in eternity before the foundation of the world chose his people and designed redemption for them. How long is it? Well, it's certainly long as we look backwards, and it's equally long as we look forwards. We read there in John 13, 1, that having loved his own, he loves them to the end. Will there be a day when God will stop loving his people? Not when we're in this world. He has promised he will never leave nor forsake. Not in our dying hour, we need fear no evil, for he is with us. Not when we go out into eternity, we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. We shall spend all eternity with God. So this is an eternal duration. The breadth, the length, then we have the depth of it. And the depth, well, how can you examine that? It's as deep as hell itself. And all the vile powers of hell that broke loose at Calvary were defeated because God would redeem his people from their sins. Now, when you're examining something, you can see the breadth of it from a long way off. You can see the length of it from a way off. But when you're examining the depth of something, you have to get very close. You have to stand at the edge of the pit 
and look down into how deep it is. And so you have to come very near. And the wonder of the gospel is that the nearer you come, the deeper, the more profound it really is. There's no disappointment here. There's no shallowness. There's no dissatisfaction. This gospel is deep enough to satisfy every inquiring mind. We measure it, of course, by all the vile sins that it covers over. That's how deep is the love of God. There is no depth of depravity the gospel cannot reach. The vilest sinner, the filthiest, wickedest man or woman, all sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, Jesus said. The gospel is deeper than all the depths of sin. And to comprehend this, you have to come near. Those who stand afar off do not appreciate the depths, the wonder of the gospel. It is the one that has come and confided in the Lord Jesus. And then there's the height. Oh, that's the very heavenly glories of itself. And I think this is best measured by thinking of what we are going to be in the future. We are called sons of God, and we will reign with the Lord as heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We shall sing with the angels in heaven. We shall gather around the throne, and we will spend all eternity worshiping our Savior. Oh, the height. Oh, the future that is set before us. So I want you to get the equation of the gospel. It's breadth, it's length, it's depth, it's height. And Paul had to pray that the Spirit of God would come in grace and in power and impress upon men and women the reality of the gospel in all these ways. When you think of these dimensions, you're dealing here with a cube. It is three-dimensional. It is something of substance. And that's the point. The gospel is real. It's really true. And it really works. And Jesus really saves when you really believe. And so we need to pray that the Spirit of God gives you faith. We need to pray that you're brought out of any unbelief to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height. And then finally, the purpose of this love. We see the doxology in verse 20, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages. Here is the purpose. Why did God ever plan the cross? Why did He ever love our souls? That out of our lives and out of our worship, the Lord Jesus would receive glory. He would receive all the glory. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves from sin. We cannot earn our way to heaven. All the glory is the Lord's. And you today are to take this cup and this bread with a single eye to ascribe all the praise to your Savior. 
You take none of it for yourself. You're only a sinner, guilty, deserving of wrath, but are blessed with this infinite, immeasurable love of God in Christ Jesus. And so as you take that cup, and as you taste of that juice, as you ingest to drink the blood of Jesus, this is metaphorical now. We're not speaking literal. We're speaking what our Lord Jesus meant to be, our participating and receiving the grace of the gospel. As you taste that juice, as you lick and allow that to be ingested, you are saying, this is my hope for glory. And I renounce every other way, and I give to my Lord Jesus my worship for bleeding on the cross for me to purchase my redemption. And as you take that bread in hand, and again ingested, you are saying, Lord, there was no one else who could pay the price. There was no other body that could offer such a ransom. There was only one who was sinless, one who was appointed by the Father. And Lord Jesus, you're enough for me. And I take this bread and I eat as an expression of my faith, and I give to you, Lord, the glory. And I tell the world, this is my hope. This is my Savior. And this is all that I desire. That's the message. Now to participate. And I think I should do right now what Paul did. I bow my knees. Let's every one of us unite in prayer. Father in heaven, by your grace we have endeavored to set out, at least in outline, the wonder of this love of Christ and the fullness of the gospel. Thank you for those who are here today who are saints. Thank you, Lord, for those who have the possession of Christ living in them. Thank you, Lord, for the operation of the Spirit, that we have not come this way by our own thinking, but by the operation of grace in our souls. Thank you, Lord, for the power of this redemption that has brought us into union with Thee. Lord, we ascribe all glory to Your name. And as each one who participates in this communion this morning, we dedicate ourselves afresh. We give Thee our all, and we surrender all, that You might be glorified in us. Lord, cleanse us, and by Your Spirit fill us with the fullness of God. Lord, we want to be like that bottle. We want to have the Lord in us, and we want to have the Lord all around us. We pray for your grace to us. And so bless and help us as we participate together to take this bread and cup and manifest yourself to us in grace, we pray. In our Savior's name, amen. Amen. We have a hymn that we're going to sing just before we uh, participate together. We're going to turn to the hymn. It's called Christ 
liveth in me. 458, 458, once far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see. But in God's word, the light I found. Now Christ liveth in me. We'll stand to sing as we prepare for the table. to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you again for joining with us, staying tuned with us here in the program, and for, I trust, enjoying the things of the Lord. There is joy in serving Christ. Jesus said, my joy I give unto you. And my prayer is that today you will have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Let me read to you a story here called Fundamentally Settled. In days like these, when chaos appears to be king, and civilization itself sometimes seems verging on collapse, it is something mightily to be desired to have an anchor for the soul, something permanent, abiding, sure, and steadfast to be tied to. A man with such an anchor, now a United States Navy officer, recently wrote a letter to his pastor, Your letter wrote back much that has been connected with our church. For almost 13 years I have been a member, sometimes in better standing than at others. Many times my attendance has not been as faithful as it might have been. But over those years, despite the fluctuating fervor which I applied to it, I can see that the church has been a real rock, a real reference point for me. It's just as in navigation. At the beginning of every voyage, you establish your bearing and distance from some fixed mark, and that is your point of departure. We have something in our faith that can fundamentally settle a man, that beneath his surface tides runs like a deep, strong current, never varying in its direction, always surging ahead. The young lieutenant is absolutely right, of course. There is nothing in all the world save the eternal gospel of Christ that can fundamentally settle a man. 
That story was produced in a magazine called Home Evangel. Here is another story told by C. Roy Angel in The Teacher. What a difference the gospel made. Dr. George Green, home on leave from the mission field, told this experience. When I first went out to my mission field in Africa, the boat carried me up a wide, beautiful river flowing through the jungle. And as the sun set and the night came on, I listened with much misgiving to the roll of the war drums. They continued far into the night. The captain of the boat was uneasy and tried to dissuade me from going ashore the next morning, and I admit I was trembling with fear. But I found that the Lord standeth within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. After years of delightful labor, I left the jungle on the same boat. As it came down the river, thousands of these same natives gathered on the shores near their villages to say farewell. As the boat came into sight, they broke into song, but not a war song. They were singing the hymn that is a favorite to most of them. All heal the power of Jesus' name. And another message from the New Century Leader. In the churchyard of an English cathedral is an inscription carved on a gravestone of a woman who lived in the 18th century. After giving the date of her birth and death, there are these words. She was a cousin of the Duke of Bedford. Think of putting that on a tombstone. Do you suppose God was impressed? Can you imagine that on the arrival of that woman at the pearly gates of heaven, an angel went before her crying out, Make way for the cousin of the Duke of Bedford. We smile, and yet we ought to think on the many things on which people pride themselves, which make no difference in God's judgment of a life. With God, it is not titles or money or fame or race, nor even correct opinions about him which count. A who's who in America, made by God, would be very different from the one man makes. Well, I leave you with these short little accounts. What a joy it is to know that this gospel is indeed the power of God unto salvation, that Christians live in hope, we die in hope, we look forward to the glorious day when Christ shall return. And this gospel shall be the power of God unto salvation. Our salvation is not just the signing a card and being justified and cleansed from sin. Our salvation is his daily keeping power and his ability to present us before the Father spotless, perfect, without a spot that we may be received into glory. That's the salvation we are resting in. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music